when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. What is up, feelers? Welcome to episode 85 of the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm Patch, alongside my trusty sidekick, best friend and co-host Aaron. Hello. Coming up with the one and only Andrew B. Dice of ScreenRant.com to take on Zack Snyder's third entry into the DCEU, Justice League. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. I am I am pleased as punch to be here, guys. I uh, always cherish our conversations, regardless of whether the movie stars an aquatic superhuman or an aquatic superhuman. So I am very excited. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> We're glad it took to me a second that. to realize what you're talking about. I had, to, I had to, <laughs> the wheels were turning, and I was like, "Why is he talking about aquatic?" And then, oh, we did Waterworld. That's right. Right. I believe I'm three for three now. <laughs> this will be three for three. I think yeah, with water with water themed things. Was there? We did Wonder Woman, right? Did that yes. have water in it? She lived on an island surrounded by water. Okay. Yeah, we'll, I was we'll picturing her diving, but I guess oh, maybe oh, kind gosh. of uh, count it. <laughs> well, amphibious. They're so amphibious superheroes. <laughs> I guess we're going to unofficially invite you back for Aquaman if that ever happens. So just know yes. we'll we'll stamp that for uh, <laughs> for for the unofficial uh, date there. <laughs> Gosh. Well, before we talk Justice League, uh, let's go around the mic a little bit and talk about what we've been up to this week. And Andrew, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Yeah, I've been. Well, I've, I'm. I guess in kind of a anticipation of the justice league uh, for anyone on Twitter who was joining in, in hashtag Martha watch 2017 uh, that was uh, organized by Stephen Colbert, not that Stephen Colbert, Stephen Colbert of <laughs> uh, screenrant.com. We went uh, watching wonder woman and man of steel and Batman v Superman and suicide squad. I ended up missing. Uh, so I was devastated. <laughs> Accidental, but, uh, right. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I believe I was seeing Justice League instead. So let's keep, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold my opinions off later uh, about how much was sacrificed in terms of emotional calmness uh, for the evening. But uh, no, that was, I think it, it kind of, um, I'm obviously pro Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. I'm on the record as enjoying those movies and obviously Wonder Woman, but uh, even more than just the, entertainment value or the flawless, you know, flawed, wherever you land on that. I think those movies are a lot of fun to discuss with people, especially if you have that many people watching all at once. And right. I do think that it kind of speaks to how much is in those movies, especially the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman, which kind of is, is another thing to discuss all on its own. Uh, I almost feel like Wonder Woman is, it's kind of the thing, like Jeff Johns said at, at uh, San Diego Comic-Con this summer when he was talking about characters that he liked to write. And he said that, you know, when someone says, well, Batman's cool, uh, you know, you think, well, yeah, everybody, you know, everybody loves Batman. Uh, that's that's not really saying all that much. But then when someone says, like, Aquaman sucks, he gets, like, really upset. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, it feels like if someone said, you know, uh oh who, who's your favorite superhero oh, i love batman okay yeah well i love batman i love batman and then someone says i love aquaman then someone else who loves aquaman it's like you have this thing in common mm -hmm. you know you're both cheering for the the underdog or that kind of <laughs> thing so 
uh, you know, when you throw that in and there's that many characters and that kind of approach to movies like Zack Snyder did with Batman v Superman, uh, I, I dig that. You know, Wonder Woman is fun, but Wonder Woman is obviously great. It's great. Everyone loves it. So the Batman v Superman and reading the Suicide Squad tweets, they ended up being some of the most fun ones uh, to sift through. Uh, I'm assuming you guys rewatched some, if not most of the films leading into this before Justice League. Aaron, I, I thought you were going to give a give in first. Oh no, I did not, and I don't think I did either. Actually, no, I, I did no. not. No, oh. um, I have been very busy trying to get through a ton of films leading up to the Seattle Film Critics Society. I've noticed awards voting. Yeah. yeah, so I could not give the time to go through them again. And and frankly, I don't think I needed to. But we can get into that. I was going to sure. ask that may that may inform some of the reaction that we're going to probably be talking about tonight. So mm-hmm. I think it might become a, a valid point of discussion, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, that was, well, yeah, I'll, I'll hold off on that, but that was, I mean, fun to watch with it with a lot of people and see what you agree on and what you don't. Um, and <laughs> especially watching them with uh new and expecting mothers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Zack Snyder's film is definitely there. There's a lot in there to, to latch onto and, and kind of put under the microscope, but yeah. Beyond that, um, this week I was just enjoying uh, The Punisher. I don't know if if you guys have started up the Marvel Netflix series The Punisher, which I am so relieved coming off of Iron Fist and The Defenders within the first episode of The Punisher. Uh, if, if maybe you were a little burned out or maybe have your hopes drop down a level or two or it's kind of seeming a little humdrum or, uh, you know, everyday generic at this point uh the first episode of punisher i was 100 percent in um i think it is steven lightfoot i think who created it and uh man props uh, <laughs> like i said the last few shows have kind of made me be a little bit more specific than just saying yay marvel you did a great job so i'll just say the creators and writers and everybody involved with the punisher john bernthal Definitely. Um, that show is just awesome from the, from the first episode. And I am totally in, I think I've watched the first three now and it was the first of those shows since daredevil where when I sat down and started watching them and got three episodes in and saw how late it had gotten, I kind of said to myself like, damn, I need to go to sleep. You know, I would love to just keep watching these things. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see if that show stays that good for the entire running time, which is, been a challenge with some of the ones that came before but uh yeah i'm excited about superheroes again which is always fun that's always a good thing to know especially when we are living in a world filled with them on the big and small screen Aaron, what about you what have you been up to well like i mentioned tons and tons of movies it's just it's a non-stop wave for me it's a burden. Um, it's a burden, isn't it? It is. It's a burden. I'm, it's, it's a humble brag thing when I talk about it because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm wallowing in this, like, this, this weight and mountain of movies that I quote unquote have to watch, right? Of course, I'm getting to see these things that people don't even have released at their hometowns yet. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a cool thing. It's a really neat experience, but there is a level of responsibility that I feel to the process. Um, I feel like, my job, it is a second job and it is, it is to see as many films as I possibly can so that I can give the best informed voting experience for others. Because what I used to follow in film critic societies and the film critics that I, I love and the podcasts I listen to 
it was, I always wanted to know what should I prioritize and put first because I didn't have all the time in the world to see every movie. Now I'm the guy seeing all of the movies so that I can tell you what to prioritize. And it's, it's a, it's a responsibility thing. So I, I take it very seriously. Um, two things that have released, released, released here in Seattle this week or in the last week, um, that have come out. I just want to briefly mention one is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Andrew, do you get to see anything like this? That's non like mainstream pop culture. I think there, yeah, I think there is at least one theater in my city that is kind of the, uh, more art house stuff, like a literal art house. But I think this one is actually playing in our main chain. Nice. I just haven't gotten around to seeing it, but the, the trailers alone make it very clear why people would immediately be interested in this or not. Right. And it is. So if you've seen anything by the screenwriter slash playwright Martin McDonough before, this one fits perfectly in with his previous films, uh, Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges are the two that everyone talks about. Um, it, it is brutal. It is fiercely brutal. And uh, the performances are all incredible. Frances McDormand, definitely an Oscar front runner for, for her work in this as a best actress. Uh, and Sam Rockwell is shockingly inc- amazing. Like, I mean, not shockingly that he's good, but like right. over and above, you know, in the role that he has to play. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but it's hard to see him in this role <laughs> as, as the character that he plays and the, the attitudes that he has. And, um, he is just, man, he's a knockout and, and I would love to see him get a nomination because he's an actor that I've always really respected. But, um, I, you know, I'm not as high on this one as most people. This one sits in the very, very good kind of area for me. The script is no doubt amazing. I mean, the man can write, but the content is, it's hard to swallow. It is anger fueled and lots of hatred and it's just a ton of bad people. So even the people in this movie, the characters that are trying to do good or looking for hope of some kind, they all have these underpinnings of, of evil within them, things that they've done and, and character traits that are not positive. So there's no real, it's hard to find a hero. And, uh, and I, I struggled at the end of this movie with the way that it ended. Um, just the way that the tone leaves it hanging didn't exactly work for me very well, but it's, it's a hard watch and uh, it's not for the light of, not for the faint of heart at all, but it is a, a very well put together piece of work. So I will say that. Uh, so if anybody out there is interested in three billboards, it's if you're, if you're even mildly interested in this movie, I would say go see it because you're going, you need to experience it. Um, if you can't handle extreme violence, lots and lots and lots of bad language and, really, really evil people in your films, then steer clear. Um, <laughs> As with all of Martin McDonough movies. I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the opposite though of that is I saw Wonder, which is based on the book by RJ Palacio and uh, directed by Stephen Jabosky, who directed and wrote The Perks of a Wallflower or Perks of Being a Wallflower a few years back. Um, this film is a family favorite my um, ex-wife and kids and I all read this book together several years ago at the same time. And so it was kind of a communal experience and we, we all just fell in love with this book. It's such a sweet story. Has Jacob Tremblay, a star, a young actor from movie 
room, not the room, but room a couple of years ago. And uh, also has Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson in it. And then a host of young, other young child actors that are all really, really good. Uh, I really enjoyed all the different performances in this, but mostly this movie just was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, when we're talking adaptations, sometimes the expectations are higher than normal because we go into it with this picture already in our head based on when we read a novel or read a graphic novel or a comic book. And I think Chabosky knocked it out of the park. He did a phenomenal job. He did just about as good as you could possibly do with the material um, because it is a bit narratively different with its structure. So the film had to, to make that work. And I think he did a, a fine job. Um, the, the guy's amazing. Steven Chabosky is just, he's only done, I think these two movies, but man, if he, if he puts something out from now on, I'll, I'll be the first in line for it because he he and the films that he chooses to embrace, they tell stories that fit feel and film to a T. I mean, these are movies that make you feel these are movies that bring up your emotions and that make you challenge how you see other people and even how you see yourself. And I, I love stuff like that. It was the first film that my 14 year old daughter has cried at that. I can remember we've teased her for years because She'll come out of movies and she'll just be the only one. The rest of us will be like completely sobbing and we'll jokingly call her heartless, which is and now that I've seen the movie, it's probably rude, but whatever. Um, So now I don't have to do that anymore because she was sobbing and she was just completely emotionally impacted by this. And so I would definitely recommend wonder for families and, you know, teenagers, young teens, preteens, uh, go see this one, go support this because it is a fantastic film. So those are the, those are the two that I just wanted to give some props to briefly, Patrick. All right. Thank you, Aaron. And wonder is definitely going on our, at least at home pick list since our schedule is kind of full for the remainder of the year. But with like you with Steven Chabosky, it's like, yes, I'm right there because you know, perks. And He's everything. our Martin McDonough. He really is. And uh, you know, if he could put Ezra Miller in everything that, that he does, I'd be a happy camper too. Yeah, I think yeah, that would be great. I, I think it's interesting for me when I wrote down that I was going to mention these two movies, the difference in style and the difference in the way in which people go about things. And Martin McDonough goes about showing us angry, hate-filled characters dealing with some of the similar concepts as we see in the the middle school kids and the family that's dealing with these issues in Wonder. And it's just these, they're, they're so different tonally, mm -hmm. right? One is all about, and what was interesting to me is hearing people talk about them and seeing what kind of viewer is drawn to one type of storytelling or the other. Like, mm -hmm. are you drawn to that uber violent, terrible human being portrait? What does that make you think about yourself um, versus seeing this portrait of, inspiring and hopeful um, kids, you know, going through a learning process of what it means to not bully and what it means to be different and all these other things. And so it's, it's, it's really, really cool to see, you know, how people react. Well, I think if, I think it also, it brings about this idea that storytelling methods can be successful on various levels. You can tell a story a number of different ways in order to create a certain kind of visceral reaction whether it's anger or whether it's sadness or, or whatever. And it sounds like seeing these two films 
kind of not necessarily literally back to back, but just in your, in your viewing experience back to back, you kind of got that, that it's not the same story, but it's similar, similar themes and things like that, that, that anchor in using a different kind of approach that caters to a specific audience. So I think that's while my, my subjectivity would say, I don't like this type of movie or that type of movie. I can definitely respect the wide range of stories that are told and the methods in which they're told. Yeah, me too. And I'm glad that they exist. I love, I love variety. What about you, man? What have you been watching or doing? Well, this week I decided that I wanted to, in, in the, in the spirit of seeing justice league, I wanted to go back to comic storyline that I ever read. This was the book that got me into comics and I've ebb and flowed in comics. So I grew up in the nineties with the oversaturation of the comic book world. I was collecting comics less for storytelling reasons and more for, Hey, these are going to be worth a million dollars one day. And no, they're not, they're going to be worth less than the paper that they're printed on. And they're sitting in my closet collecting that, that nice, you know, that nice sepia tone on them. But, um, when, when I was in my, I guess my early twenties, I don't know really when I went to, I went to Barnes and Noble and I picked up, I looked in the graphic novel section and I picked up the death of Superman because I grew up loving Superman. And I remember hearing about this particular storyline, how it kind of rocked the world of DC, you know, Superman's dead. How can you do that? And I wanted to just go back and revisit it. And not only that one, but the, I guess the follow-up book to it, A World Without Superman, that's what the trade's called. The, tra- the, the series is actually Funeral for a Friend, I believe, yeah. And Dan Jurgens was, uh, was the the main writer of the series. And as I was walking through it and just reading and kind of getting re-familiar re- with it, I just fell in love with it all over again. Because to me, this series or this particular story really epitomized what I love about Superman was the fact that Jurgens and company company really, they did two things. One, they were able to sell me on the fact that Superman can be killed, that he is not invincible. And that's really a hard thing to do in storytelling. What do you do with a man who has only one official weakness, this green, whatever, and they put him up against a villain that is, equally combative and his death is one that is felt throughout the comic world. But what was equally impressive to me was the aftermath. I mean, we're talking about of comics, nine individual issues that were giving us literally a world without Superman and what that looked like. And I don't know what the timeline was in this. Uh, Andrew, maybe you can refresh me, but this was a year like chronologically in terms of like the comic book in in terms of like actual, like readership. I think it took place over the course of a year that Superman did not exist. Is that, or he wasn't alive. Is that true? I think he was out for, because they also did the reign of the Superman. Right. But I know that this was over the year. Okay. So to, to not have your icon or at least one of your two big icons of your comic book world, not even present. Uh, that that was that was ballsy. I mean, let's just let's just call it what it is. And so, reading through this story arc, 
it, it wasn't filler to me. It, it wasn't like, okay, we need to find something to do over these next several issues. Now I didn't read reign of the Superman. I just read this one, but what impressed me the most was not only how the story progressed naturally, but how he eventually made his return. And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody necessarily, but I want to, I just want to give credit where credit is due that to me, this is where comics shine that you're, you can have your adventures of insert superhero name here and they're fine and they're great. But the things that impress me the most are ones where you take a hero, take a superhero that you have become very familiar with and you do something to kind of turn his, his mythology on its head. And Superman's a very difficult character to do that with because he really doesn't have any limits. You can't challenge those limits. So when you can actually successfully do that by giving him a legitimate death, by giving us literally a year without his voice, without his actual presence. I mean, as readers, I wish I would have been reading at the time because that would have felt very visceral to me. I don't have my Superman. I don't have this character that I'm connected with. And in some ways I'm a character in this comic book world living in a place where the character that I look up to and what's the world doing about it. And so I appreciate and just in my, in my head, just appreciating more and more stories that go outside the box and stories that challenge the, the norm of what a character should be. And it reminded me of why I enjoyed Man of Steel so much over time is it Man of Steel does that. Man of Steel challenges what we think about this character that has been around since the 1930s and what I think Zack Snyder does pretty successfully. And he says, this is, this is Superman to a world that is now, not a world that was the 30s or 50s or 60s or 70s. And so I, I just, I can, I, I just, I loved reading it. I loved walking through the issues and kind of experiencing it all over again. I, the first time I read it, I was just so engulfed in it. I read it very quickly. And so I tried to, I, I, I tried to uh, read it a little bit slower, but of course I just got incredibly carried away and, and wanted to be able to talk about it tonight. So yeah, I, I knocked out those two, uh, Death of Superman and World Without Superman there trades that uh, became part of my now growing trade paperback collection. That's awesome, man. Um, I will definitely have to read those at some point. I have not thus far, but I want to. Well, we'll just say that in your heart, you will read them at some point. I know you're busy. <laughs> After award season's over. That's what I After keep. Award. That's what I keep telling myself about everything, including <laughs> I mean, this movie made me want to rewatch to go back into Green Arrow and Flash so badly. Yeah, but I just, I just can't right now. Understood, understood. Well, with that being said, I'd like to go ahead and just rocket us into tonight's discussion. And as always, this will be a spoiler-filled discussion. We can't talk about movies and the way they make us feel, at least not as uh, proficiently, without saying a few things about inserted characters and missing mustaches and what else will come up in tonight's conversation. So I wanted to start off by asking you guys, what were your expectations going in and what were your reactions leaving the theater? Now I know both of you guys have seen it twice. So I'd kind of like to get your reactions, initial impressions, but reactions both times. Uh, So Andrew, let's start with you. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Unless, I was holding my we, breath too. Unless um, we unless we want to move to Aaron, it's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, you, you know what? For very selfish reasons, I would love to hear what Aaron felt. Excellent. Okay. I, 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 I found that a very rich experience listening to other people who had an experience with the movie that was different than the experience I've had with these characters. I've got no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. So Aaron, let's start with you at the request of our guests. Go ahead. Okay. So um, I, as everyone knows, who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time or follows me on social media, I have a serious case of superhero burnout. Um, I have, I've reached the, the apex. I feel uh, Thor Ragnarok kind of put me there. It was this really good movie that I had so much fun watching and then forgot about by the time I woke up the next morning. And so I've gotten to this place where I don't even anticipate the movies anymore. So Justice League, I'd kind of put it out of my mouth, my mouth. Wow. Um, I'd kind of put it out of my mind, to be honest, for the most part. And there was so much negativity around this movie and around the DC universe, which I generally enjoy, that I didn't even want to engage in talking about it in the lead up to the film. So that's kind of how my expectations were set. Now, fast forward to the night that Justice League screens. I get in the car, I'm on the interstate, and I send Patrick a voice message and I say, okay, I'm hyped. And I realized like in that moment when I was in the car and I was on my way to see the movie that the excitement was hitting me and I was getting ready to go see Justice League and all these characters. And then, and it's basically, I was able to solo have that experience without having to worry about what the rest of the world was thinking. So I get to the film and my expectations at that point are back to soaring (laughs) and just kind of like, okay, let's go. I'm ready to see this. But honestly, I, you know, I, I think I went in pretty mild. I wasn't expecting it to be wonderful. Um, Knowing that Whedon had come in and had to fix some stuff for Snyder or finish some stuff off for Snyder after the, the tragic loss of his daughter and knowing that Whedon was going to change some of the dialogue, I expected it to be, witty and bantery and so that didn't come as a shock in the universe it was more of an experience of like being interested to see where and how he wove that in versus whether or not he would put that in um and so then i come out of the movie i really enjoyed it i had a very good time i thought most of the new characters were you know fleshed out pretty well there were there there's definitely things i don't like about the movie and there were noticeable issues that distracted me or kept me from being in the greatness kind of territory. But both viewings, or after both viewings, I ended with the same feeling of joy and glee. And that, that was my takeaway, is while watching the movie, throughout it, there were moments where I could feel myself thinking, okay, this is not that great. Or man, I would like some more, more, more stuff here. I wish this was a little bit longer. Or, yeah, this accident scene is good, but it's not great. But when the movie ends, I'm on cloud nine. And I think a large part of that, when you talk about this is the post credit scenes, to be honest, because I think that they combined with the way the film ends. And then the two post credit scenes, they just, it, it goes on this upward trajectory. The last, 
15 or so minutes that leaves me on a high. And so then when I leave some of that, uh, you know, once, once that, once I settle, once I come down off that high, I can say to myself, this was a good movie that I enjoyed, but it's not great. And it could have been a lot better, but when I'm watching it, I have a really good time. And so that's kind of my summed up feelings about justice league without getting into specifics. Andrew, what about you? Okay. I, cause I feel like the, the problem here is that, uh, the, the reception to the previous DC movies has, like you said, I mean, it's just a storm of negativity. Like there was a, you know, a storm ahead of wonder woman's release saying, I hear this movie's a mess. Um, and it was, it was wonder woman. So, uh, I was also trying hard to stay neutral and remind myself that uh, both Man of Steel and Batman v Superman took a pretty, pretty hard beating. Man of Steel kind of after the fact, but uh, that so much of those stories, not even necessarily all of it spoke to me. I I don't think they are perfect films. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, that kind of, there are people who are very, very passionate about their love of Zack Snyder. And I love, I love Zack Snyder films and I love his sensibility without having to say, you know, every single thing the guy does is perfect and flawless. I'm not, not, not in that territory. Uh, But what I, what I loved so much about Batman v Superman was that the characters felt, it felt like he was really trying to do something that was kind of alluded to earlier in us talking that was relevant to an audience today seeing this story, but doing it in a way that isn't ripped from the headlines, <laughs> you know, that uh, a law and order episode would be, but still putting it through a, a mythic lens, you know, that these are kind of the way I would open up a comic book when I was a kid, I would be looking for a fun adventure. And then as I got older and I got a little bit more selective about the, on writers and artists, I would open it, open up the comic expecting, you know, I'm preparing myself for a heck of a story that is about big things and big ideas with big characters. And I think man of steel and Batman v Superman both fit that. Sometimes it was more style over substance or too big for some people to really, you know, like, I want to see Superman be happy. I want to see him be optimistic. I want to see, and I totally get that. I mean, everyone loves these characters so much. So, when I started watching the movie and I might, I think I am just more sensitive to not necessarily reshoots, but kind of the fingerprints that reshoots leave uh, in, in the movie around it. Um, so it was hard for me to look past, you know, the, the introduction from, which is very Joss Whedon. I was, we'll get to maybe some discussion of something else that that scene introduced, but I was very, you know, okay, good. If if there's a way that we can maybe go back in time almost and give Superman fans a sign of who he was really that we didn't get to see, that's great. Um, leaving the theater, I was very uh, – personally, I will be honest and say that I was devastated, uh, not because of – the merits of the film but of what was very apparent had happened uh to this movie behind the scenes that 
the movie that I had hoped would be the kind of culmination of this story that Zack Snyder and Chris Terrio and everyone associated with the movie was, you know, trying to say had, uh, I was not going to get that film. Uh, and the thing that really, really struck me was that I do feel like it had been marketed as that film. Uh, a lot of the scenes that I was kind of most excited for from all of the trailers and that just were not in the movie. And a lot of those cool moments that I was already getting like the warm and fuzzies about from the trailers and TV spots were nowhere to be found in the movie, which is always kind of a, you know, a, a frustrating thing for, I think any movie fan, but I've tried to stay positive and say that, you know, Superman's back. And a lot of people really enjoyed Superman. Um, I, I, lo I love, like you said, I, I really dig Aquaman. I think Ezra Miller's Flash is a really fun take on the character that adds a lot to that. I think Ray Fisher's Cyborg w was surprisingly good for me. And I think that the fact that there wasn't more of him in it then is, I would have loved to have seen more. I think he could have really stolen the show uh, in a lot of ways or taken the movie into some different genre spaces that would have been really cool. Um, and it, the end of the day, uh, I'm just I'm I'm really bugged because I went into the theater with expectations, yes, but I feel like when you go in with expectations based on the two previous movies that have been building to this, uh, I would normally feel a little disappointed or maybe a little dispirited uh, just on the choices that were made. But with this one, I feel like that movie did exist. I just didn't get to see it. Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I was not fortunate enough to get to see it a second time. Although if I could, I would play my uh, voice message to Aaron after I left the theater uh, that I'm sure he got an incredible kick out of. Uh, because I basically was yelling at the top of my lungs how good of a time I had. I mean, I can and play it. I, I well, no, you don't have to. I mean, I just, <laughs> I've got it right here. I don't know. <laughs> My experience um, was kind of a mismatch of both of both of you guys in terms of not necessarily what I experienced in the theater, but kind of letting it settle over the course of two or three days. Because I, I, I did. I literally left the theater feeling incredibly you know, exuberating. I was like, yeah, I cannot believe I just saw this. This was wow. And I was, you know, championing it when I had to go, I had to go back to work. So I was championing it to everybody. It's like, go see this movie, go see this movie. And like any film, if I'm going to be a responsible film critic, I had to temper my, my emotions, but not forget them. And I spent a couple of days on social media, which probably wasn't the best thing to do. Uh, my blood pressure going up and down because of opinions that I agreed with and didn't agree with. Yeah. And, and today, as I was just kind of mentally prepping for tonight, I started thinking about, okay, where do I land on a film like this? And I don't make this an official thing, but sometimes it helps. And I've mentioned this on the show to find one word that kind of gives me like the one word that sums up what I feel a film does for me or what it has. And the words are strained. And I think in a lot of ways that word can be taken positively or negatively. 
you know, I think positively for me, because I look at the two previous iterations from Zack Snyder and there is a lot going on, not just action, not just stuff happening, particularly in BVS, but there is a lot of thematic things. There's some heavy stuff happening. And Andrew, you mentioned that there's some real value to that because as I mentioned before, when you take a character or when you take an idea and you elevate it and you make it relevant or whatever the word you want to call it, when you make it accessible to an audience, it's not accessible. When you make it something that requires you to really sit on it for a while and digest it and think about it, it makes it more valuable. Every iteration of Man of Steel that I, every, every viewing that I watch, I get something else more out of it. And the things that I find bothersome, they become less and less because they're overshadowed by those things that I see guys like Zack Snyder and company trying to do. So I come out of Justice League and I love the restraint. I love that I didn't have to think too much. I love that I got everything. You know, I got the beginning. I got the middle. I got the end. I got the villain. I, I understood all of it. But at the end of the day, if I'm looking at it, and let's go back to Martha Watch, <laughs> because I hadn't had those recent viewings, I didn't have the taste of what the universe was being defined as. And so as I look back on those two films, and I think about what you're telling, what, what you're saying, Andrew, I, that restraint kind of creates a negativity to it because now it feels like candy corn instead of a gourmet dessert. You know what I'm saying? It's it's really kind of a, mm -hmm. we could have given you more, but we decided to give you enough to let you digest it so you could walk away feeling good. That sounds like manipulation. I don't want to say that it was just yet because I still feel really great about the movie, but I know that some of that is because of the positive slash negative restraint that was in the shorter scenes, the short runtime, the less fleshed out characters, the change of, and I didn't, I didn't feel this honestly, but the apparent tonal differences. Now, if you're talking tonal differences between films, yes, definitely. But if you're talking about tonal shifts within the movie, I didn't feel a lot of that. Um, those types of things I can definitely see create legitimate criticism. And for me there, you're losing what I think is valuable in any franchise and that's consistency because consistency, consistency builds trust in your audience. They know what kind of films they're getting and they begin to trust you and say, Hey, look, if we're going to be this, we need to be this and we need to be all in. And I feel like justice league took a slight step back in that. It's not like they said, we're going to be Marvel or anything like that. But I feel like they said, we're going to be less DC in this one because we really want to make sure that we grab more audience. And I hate that we have this, this media kind of back his backstory about wish I didn't know any of that because that kind of taints my viewing experience because I go in kind of looking for those things. And, uh, you know, it, it just, for different reasons than you are, Andrew, but it still does bother me. Is it a good movie? Yes. Is it a great movie? I don't know yet because I'm still kind of wrestling with that. Because I can't, I can't separate what I felt leaving the theater. I haven't felt that way about any movie really in a while, much less a superhero movie. Hmm. And 
something had to have happened in my movie experience to make that, uh, to make that real. I don't feel like that was fate to me. No. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that is an important reminder. Uh, I am so happy that you guys left the theater happy. I mean, I love these characters, so I, you know, I'm, I'm not offended. I like, as some people seem to get on social media, um, you, you, like you're not wrong. I'm not right. Or vice vice versa on that. I think that you hit on the perfect, perfect analogy too, because it really does feel like Zack Snyder in some of the marketing or some of the themes that he was developing. And the fact that Superman comes back, it did almost feel like this was the main course he was building to. Uh, And with Joss Whedon's help, it was kind of asked, can we make this into a dessert also? So you end up with some, you know, you, you get a little savory and then followed up by maybe a little too sweet just in because of the combination of how they were put together. Um, you add in a, a change in musical score that kind of can make the whole thing taste like oranges to people like me or, or you know, some, something like that, that, um, that it is just kind of, like you said, it does sort of serve, not even serving two masters because I don't think that there is, like you said, a, a necessarily a jarring tone between all of the different pieces that fit together. But to your point, you know, good, maybe not great or maybe great. I think that the problem for me is that when you were saying that I left the theater feeling like Warner brothers and DC films and the people behind it, their intention was not to make this great. Their intention was to make a meal that people would like. That's wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. I think it's, it's definitely pared down and that's, you can tell that the most, more of that epic mythic storytelling that you were talking about, Andrew, that you want, that we all three want um, from Snyder is in there. There's snippets of it. I mean, all of these characters go through an arc. It's one of my favorite things about the film. They all go through some sort of growth. They all have an issue that they're trying to overcome. And so it's, it's, there's, it's there. (laughs) And it's like, they said, okay, we need to, they're giving in to the whims of the people and the masses. So they're listening to the audience, I guess, in a way. And I, and I, I don't know how I always feel about that, but I feel like that that's what's happening here is they're, they're hearing the chatter and then they're reacting to it. Right. Yeah. But I, but I don't feel like, and, and, that, and that should be wrong. That shouldn't be the, don't do that is what I'm saying. This isn't, Okay, you're not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, you're you're not trying to. Yes, you're That's getting fantastic. people's. Yeah, no, that is. Yeah, you're not trying to get people's money so that you can make your film. You've made your film. Trust the product. Trust the people that you put in charge of it. And having a conversation earlier with uh, with Reed Lackey on social media, uh, we we were discussing the fact that it's important for creators. And I'm not saying creators need to be completely vulnerable with their audiences, but it's important to be able to recognize when something doesn't work or when you've made a mistake. I'm not asking for a public apology from DC or Warner Brothers, but when there's apparent course correction within films or between films and you don't kind of own up to that, you kind of say, yeah, this is what we wanted to give you. And it's clear that it isn't. You lose the trust of your audience. 
And when you do that in combination with creating now inconsistencies with your narratives, with your visual styles, with your, t- you know, whatever you want to articulate it to, you're catering to a group of people, in this case, your audience, who are completely subjective. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of, you know, you're talking about hundreds of people who worked on a film who are, who are agreeing with the vision of their director and their writer and their cinematographer. All these guys are working together to craft this one thing. And they're giving it to hundreds of thousands of people who are going to walk away from this thing feeling completely different from each other. I mean, if you're, and if you're asking these hundreds of thousands of people to dictate what your movie should be, it's going to become a convoluted mess. I mean, that's just the nature of it. And I'm not saying the audiences are wrong or right or whatever, but the audience is, that's the beauty of being the audience is you can be completely subjective, but when those opinions then dictate what you should do next, you've now lost the creativity of your narrative. Yeah, you're making a different product. Yes. You're making a product that you think is catering to people to satisfy when what you're actually doing is you're catering to a particular audience on this particular day in this particular time period. Whereas five years from now, people might go back and look at Man of Steel and be like, that's an incredibly epic story. And we'll look at Iron Man and be like, man, that was kind of cheesy. You know, it, opinions change over the course of times. I mean, who knows? But I think audiences should not be the, while they're the, in, the while they're the, 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 the client, while they're the, the end user, they shouldn't be the ones dictating how you make your, make your story or tell your story. You tell your story, their opinion is going to be there whether you like it or not. Make your story, trust the process and roll with it. I think one of the main reasons there's a lot of depression and disappointment over this that Andrew's feeling too is that this is the first time that we're getting this, right? I mean, I don't think we've had a live action Justice League movie. We certainly haven't had one in the age of CGI and great comic book potential for films. And so like, this is it. You only get one shot to do this one time. We've got other Superman movies we can fall back on. We've got other Batman movies we can fall back on. We can't fall back on another Justice League movie. Like, this is it. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not something that a fan loves, then they're going to be extremely disappointed because the movies are meant to be something we can take with us and and watch over and over and over and and stay with us. Now, Now, I didn't not do that for me. I... I enjoyed it, but I also don't feel that I had the same buy-in that maybe some others might have for some of the characters. So for me, the Aquaman introduction was just fine and gave me a taste of what I wanted to see Mm -hmm. from a a solo Aquaman movie. I think the narrative was handled well. There's one or two just little sentences that kind of give you a teaser of his backstory and tell you what maybe the next Aquaman solo movie may be you know, what it may be covering. And and so that got me excited about that. The same with the flash. There was enough of him. There was enough of cyborg that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was like, Oh, you know, I would like a little more cyborg cyborg, but it's so tough when you're doing this ensemble thing and you've got all these characters. And that was, that was going to be a challenge. The, the moment that I heard that they were cutting this down and, or that it was going to be two hours, I was significantly worried because you have, what do we have? Six characters. If we count Superman and that overarching narrative that we've got running through time between Superman and Batman already and wonder woman's backstory 
And then now we're bringing in three brand new characters with stories that we have to um, put all of that together and then wrap it up somehow with a nice little bow. Like that was going to be challenging to do Mm -hmm. in two and a half hours, much less two hours. But I would ask this question. Do you need origin stories to make characters valuable? And I looked at this, I watched this film and I watched the grand total of what, 12 minutes between Flash, Cyborg and Aquaman and getting me a little bit of their history. I didn't need it. And this is what I think is unique about the DCEU, whether it's doing something, um, whether it's passing or failing, uh, I'll disregard that. But the fact that they're kind of throwing us into this world and then kind of fleshing these characters out for the sake of the story at hand in one way, and then giving us teases for possible solo films in other places, that, that works for me. And like you, Andrew, I was surprised at how much I like Cyborg. I love, actually, I loved him more with the hoodie. I thought he was a lot more <laughs> in terms of visuals. And, and it wasn't because the CG was bad. Rocky guy is why. You well, thought he was yeah, Rocky. You know, this guy, I really did. You know, with the <laughs> Cyborg Rocky Rod or Creed. Looked like yeah. Creed. Yeah. Yes. There you go. But, but in all seriousness, he, he was the surprise character for me that I didn't, I, I really just thought of him as a throwaway. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, of course. He's part of Justice League. Yeah, okay, Cyborg, whatever. And he grew to be very interesting to me. The second hesitation I had with it was, how do you handle my Flash? Because behind Superman, the Flash is is my guy. And having been a fan of Grant Gustin on the TV series, that was never going to be an issue of like comparing the two because it's just not fair. You don't do that. But having seen Ezra Miller in so many different things, I wondered... What are we going to get? <laughs> what kind of flash are we going to get? And we, to me, we got enough. We got enough of a tease to tell me, man, I'm looking forward to a potential flash movie. And it doesn't have to be his origin story. It can be where he is now. In a lot of ways, I feel like flash and cyborg and Aquaman to a lesser extent were the equivalent to how Peter Parker and Spider-Man were introduced in the MCU via Sony. It's, it, it made sense. And, and, I felt trusted. I felt like, hey, you don't need to know about this long, drawn-out backstory. It's summed up in a six-minute conversation that begins with the Flash saying, so we're the accidents. <laughs> you know, explosion here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that. It didn't make me care about their stories even less. It made me wonder, okay, what are we going to do from here? Because I don't need to know where they came from. I want to know where they're going. And and, and I, like how, I like how the film handled that. Of course, I would have liked to hear more. But... For what I got, I felt like it was complete for for this narrative. Yeah, I, I'm, I want and kind of like you said. I there was buy in for me in the characters, but there was also some separation. I'm not going to you know get mad because it's not pi- my personal version. It, what Ezra Miller, I, I you know I I laughed at most of his jokes. Um, <laughs> definitely, no one's going to land all of them. That's not that's not a dig or anything. Uh, but that is not like a flash that I know or have known, you know, that, that doesn't, he didn't strike me. Uh, I never got the feeling of, oh, this is just like the comics because it's just his own character. And I, and I was really pleasantly surprised by that too, that we have Grant Gustin playing the kind of, you know, warm hearted Barry Allen. And at first I thought this was going to be closer to, you know, a Wally West flash, but that would also, I feel like be selling Ezra Miller short. I, I do think they created their own kind of character uh, more to fit the needs of maybe this cast, which is, which is probably a smarter way of going about it because 
the guy's powers make him kind of a star no matter what. Uh, and the way they did the flower or the, the power, the flowers, the way they did the flowers and the powers was great guys. Um, I actually right. did like the alien flowers at the end since you bring right? it up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like a, a new garden of Eden. Um, I think that the, the thing that there isn't a single storyline in the movie that I wouldn't want to see more of. I think like you kind of said, which is not saying there should have been, uh, I'm kind of coming at from the angle of it. It wasn't just a sign that there was more below the surface than appeared, but that there actually, again, kind of was shown in trailers to be a bit more, which, which is where it kind of you, you realize that the separation between the people making the movie and the people selling it um, clearly disagreed over the impact of Zack Snyder's visuals <laughs> in little two or one second chunks. Uh, but again, uh, you know, the, the tease of Aquaman knowing more than he was letting on, you know, that, that was great. I also think, uh, I think to what, to what you were saying, Patch, like the balance between art and business is so complicated in any kind of industry, but I do believe that art is where it starts, right? I mean. people feel things based on something that a person creates. And then you find out a way to make that profitable. Like that is these movies do not art does not work. If people don't care about it like that, then a new art just comes along that makes people care. And then that becomes the thing everyone does. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like the issue here was Zack Snyder. Say what you want about the guy, about whether, you know, you like all, types of his storytelling it's a storyteller you know like that is he's got a vision that he goes through and he gets mired into the stuff that maybe interests him more than the average person and i feel like that people do respond to it i think that is probably the the saddest part of this is that there are people who feel with reason that the studio decided they cared more about an audience they didn't have than the one they did yeah which can, I mean, all kinds of, I'm, you know, I'm in the industry for someone who is in it as purely a fan. Uh, my art breaks for those people. Cause that's a bad way to feel about art you love. Um, so I hope they recover in time, but uh, <laughs> you kind of alluded to it. I do feel like this was definitely a case of Warner brothers blinking, you know, like in to, to, use that kind of analogy that they were staring down a risky thing and they took the safer or, uh, you know, more, let's just say like easier to gauge through metrics, uh, you know, approach to putting out a four quadrant movie. And I really do think that with every year that would have continued to go by the difference between Marvel and DC would have become more of a benefit than than a, a drawback, especially with like you know, I've got there are twenty Marvel movies coming out in the foreseeable future, and I'm going to be seeing every single one of them, and I'm probably going to love ten and be like kind of okay on ten. Uh, but I would have really been interested to see something wacky, like something really out there, like the kind of thing Snyder does. That when you pull it, you pull it back. I mean, it literally. I think we would all agree that you take a Zack Snyder movie to get it into what justice league is in theaters. You have to rein in a lot, you know, you have to draw back, cut out parts that seem maybe 
too indulgent. You know, I'm not saying they're all good, but uh, you end up with a movie that didn't really uh, give me much to ponder, which is kind of what I came to really appreciate about these movies that, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to quote Stephen Colbert, screen ran again. Uh, he messaged me right after it and said, I don't have a lot to say about that, uh, which is, uh, that's your normal reaction to most big hit blockbusters is, wow, that was great. I'm not going to have a deep conversation about it. But right. I might have a fun one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the the origin story side of it, I do think that it, the, the, we're the accidents. I think that was a great scene uh, for, for them for that alone, you know, the, to kind of set them apart. Uh, it would have been really cool to have maybe another scene uh, drill down into that, that that was common ground for them to find on a motivational level, not just an actor chemistry level, which I think that Ray Fisher and Ezra Miller definitely have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would have probably added a little bit more thematic punch to them being the two that, you know, in that final fight, um, it is you do the thing that I can't even possibly understand what you're doing <laughs> and I'll run defense because I have your back. I feel like that could have been a very, very special moment for those two characters that, again, because that first moment worked so well, you're, you're almost right. damned by the two beat when a three would have made that thing sing. Yeah. I, get I mean, I, yeah, I really liked the, I, I thought that it was nice touch when they, when he does that specifically because, you know, earlier in the, the film, there's the standout scene where the flash is very reluctant. Like he's the battle yeah. is the issue that he doesn't want to do. Like he doesn't want to fight. He wants to do support essentially. And so here he is willingly saying, I'm going to go do battle. Like I'm going to go fight to protect you. And so it was, it was pretty meaningful for me. I think the, the, the movie asks a lot of you and it, it just doesn't do a great job of like drawing attention to those things. (laughs) And it's kind of to your point, like (laughs) they're there, but they're not highlighted in, in a way in which we're, totally familiar with but andrew i walked out specifically the first viewing with a very similar reaction in that i couldn't think of specifics to talk about either in fact part of why i didn't put my notes in right away for the podcast was because i couldn't remember the themes of what i wanted to talk about and i was confused Mm. because i knew they were there and i knew that each character had a thematic arc but I had to go back and see it again and really like intentionally pay attention to that to remember the moments. And I, I don't think it's not that they didn't give them to me or give me a, give me something to tell me what was going on. I think it's that we were doing so much for me. For me, it was just, we were bouncing from character moment to character moment to character moment, plot development, plot development, plot development. And you just never got to linger. And that's one thing that BVS did. Some people hated it. Obviously we didn't, but it lingers. It lives in that moment. It lets you really get in and feel the different emotions and the, the different, you know, stages that Batman and Superman go through. You don't just get two minute scene that says I'm angry and then you're done. You know what I mean? And so that was an issue for me. And that's a benefit to someone else, right? It really clipped along. You know, it had a great pace it it didn't linger on things could be said by someone and mean the exact opposite of that. So, so here's where my optimism kind of lives right now. 
in a movie like this that I absolutely agree with both of you guys that it didn't give me enough to linger on thematic beats that existed in these two previous iterations. And I, I don't recall that those I'm, I'm trying to harken back to our conversation about wonder woman. I don't know. Did we have any of those in wonder woman as well? Did it feel did was wonder I'm trying to understand because I know, I mean, Snyder didn't direct that one. It was Patty Jenkins, but so, so maybe that's a throwaway conversation. I'm remembering her in the, in the town when it was gassed Mm -hmm. and trying to think of a point in justice league that ever even slows down that much. Okay. So, so, so we'll, we'll, so we'll say yes. So it had it as well. What, what my hope is, is that, so Justice League, I think the expectation is that it should have been as big as the Avengers in terms of its like wow factor, you know, sure. like because I I clearly remember the the night I went to see the Avengers and just being complete being that was the last superhero film that I've walked out of feeling like wow, you know, before <laughs> Justice League, and I was like, oh my gosh, did I just experience the next Avengers? No, I didn't. What I experienced was was the was the adventure of an Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. And the things that I loved about the Avengers were not the things that I loved about BVS or man of steel. So what I have in my head is like, okay, great. I have two things that I love <laughs> and and they're both equally fine. But when one of those things, these deeper tones and themes and things like that, that make you think are now replaced in a universe that relies on them with a more Avengers style film that's where the disconnect is, I think, for a lot of people, including myself. My hope, and, and and I say this in all seriousness, my hope is that, as much as I don't want to say this, I hope Justice League is a transition piece to get us to a place where, not where we can see more lighthearted films or more Marvel-esque type tone, but that we can, maybe it's grabbed an audience, I don't think it is, but it grabs an audience to where now we see these solo films that shoot off that can get back to that, Mm. the the more meaningful tones, because I don't know, even if you had, I I don't know if we're ever going to see the Snyder cut. I I don't know. And if we do, maybe it'll have these same kinds of not so deep, you know, cuts. But my, my concern is that when you put an ensemble cast together of any kind, it's especially when they're of, the superhero variety, you're kind of doubling down on your ability to give depth to, to what's going mm. on. Wonder Woman is a solo film. BVS, you've got two characters here. Now you've got six. How do you do that? Aaron, you asked that question. And it's a legitimate question to ask. I didn't expect that from this. I didn't expect that from Justice League. I do expect it from solo films. I, I expect it from a Flash solo movie. I expect arc or stakes and, and deep resonating themes, whether it's from Snyder or somebody else. I don't, I don't want anything. I don't, I don't want what I got from Justice League to exist in these hopefully upcoming solo films. I feel like Justice League gives us a, a chance to breathe a little bit to say, fun. And then we have a chance to kind of have both. I mean, that's my personal hope. And if I were a studio exec, that would be like, this is where I hope we go. But of course, I'm not getting paid for that. I'm just the guy watching the movie and talking about it on a podcast. But I would like to think 
hope optimistically that maybe that's what this is, that Justice League becomes kind of the the calm before the proverbial thematic storm when we get back into these individual movies or, or team up movies involving two characters. Maybe that's where the DCEU can can thrive in its meaningful thematic elements, because I think it does that very well. I mean, I think it, it, that's where it's real success is. And maybe because justice league doesn't do that. It's taken a different kind of hit. Well, you know, it's, but it, it does for me, like I, I will say I would love more too. I'm not saying it's, it doesn't, derail the film from being enjoyable. And see, that's, right. that's where we're having this weird conversation because for me, I enjoy the movie. I watch the movie. I'm going to own the movie. We're going to own the movie because I want to rewatch it. But at the same time, it's not what I would, it's not the, the best potential, right? It's not the best me that I could get. It's, it's, there's, there's a better film there that, that Andrew's talking about that could have been. And, regardless of what we get from a Snyder cut, it's never going to be what it was. I don't think, I don't think even a Snyder cut can completely fix this, but yet there is the depth. And that's, that's kind of one of the things I want to really just make sure that everybody realizes. I mean, we have all of these arcs going on, Patrick, and this is to what you're talking about. We set things up to where these characters are, these, these characters have a place to go. You know, Bruce dealing with the guilt of Superman and feeling helpless to overcome this alien threat. Is it portrayed in the best way possible? Maybe not, but that's what it gives us. It shows us that feeling and and that, that arc for him, Diana reluctance to be a leader and reluctance to be an icon of hope for the world. She gets through, she goes through this process in the film and it comes out with a great ending scene of her to, to show that she's going to embrace that hopefulness going forward. Gives you a sense of what maybe wonder woman two is going to be. Yeah. Arthur, right? He just wants to stay hidden. Doesn't want to be a hero on a bigger scale. Just wants to save his little fishing village. Why? That was my big takeaway for Arthur is why what's going on with Arthur. And it gives me a reason beyond the fact that I love James Wan to go, go find out what's going to happen in an Aquaman movie. And then, you know, Barry wants his dad to be proud of him. Some people were complaining about these scenes with his dad. Oh, those don't need to be there. They're too short. Well, maybe they are too short, but they did enough. I thought his backstory, like you said, Patrick, it was perfectly given in a condensed way. We know we know from those scenes that he is fighting to prove that his dad was unjustly convicted and that it has consumed him and that he is just not working any one job. And he, But he wants his dad to be proud of him and he doesn't understand his power. And he says multiple times he has no friends. And he goes through growth to a point where now a flash solo movie would be really intriguing because of where he's at now versus seeing him wallow and all that stuff. And then Victor, you know, feeling cursed and alien, but has no friends. You know, he comes through that. He sees maybe this is a gift, uh, which is what Diana tells him in the beginning, not, not a curse. And so I loved that about this movie because I felt like I got to walk through these different things with the characters. And then ultimately what I love the most about it is, this is a team up movie that actually required the team to come together in meaningful ways by overcoming those things, by growing together as individuals. They all had to grow individually as to get to a point as a team where they could be successful. And I love that. 
And I thought that that's, you know, it's because of that, that I leave with this uber high enjoyment factor uh, when I'm going out of the theater thinking to myself, this is a good justice league because this cast has great chemistry. And this is a team that feels like a team that I want to see. And I'll also say when it comes to the editing, I felt that much of this film was like a comic book. I felt like this is how you read a comic book. You get a very short scene with only a few sentences of dialogue. You turn the page and we're moving on to the next location or the next moment. And that's what this movie felt like. It felt more like a comic book to me than many comic book movies do. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I I think just in a very simple way, I think that, um, you know, Snyder's like Batman v Superman is very much a, like, that's just a movie movie. Like that thing plays like a dramatic movie for, for the parts that are not action scenes, you know, you're mm-hmm. like an epic. That, yeah. yeah. And it, and it feels like you could, you could cut out eight or nine minutes of that movie and you would not be able to tell it's a superhero story just because of the way it is. It doesn't, you know, do the conventions of particularly the music, which is a big sticking point for me. I think that, Anyone who is curious about how much uh, a composer can alter or make the tone of a movie really sing, um, this is a good showpiece of how it can sometimes uh, – the the classic themes are fun, but there were a few times where it really felt at odds with um, what had been seen. The <laughs> I, I'm half joking when I say that the – Murder of a security guard kicking off the Beetlejuice music uh, in the opening hostage scene was particularly jarring for me just because Danny Elfman, like Danny Elfman does Danny Elfman music. And I I like it in a lot of places, uh, but just as a, as a good, you know, showpiece, if you're going to do a a class on film scoring, you could take a little section of this and compare it, you know, to Hans Zimmer, two guys that could not be farther away or junkie XL. uh, And that is also, you know, kind of speaks to the it is what you bring into the theater which i think is probably just part of a much bigger conversation about uh how much you want audiences bringing in in terms of sequels and that conversation just got a lot more interesting with justice league existing but uh no i'm i'm i agree with you guys on the the uh editing and i like i really really liked a lot of the character stuff that was being done i you know, one of the moments that stood out to me was when Batman said, you know, Superman is a beacon to the world. Why aren't you to to Wonder Woman? Just very pointedly, you know, uh, which felt like a, a safe accusation. Uh, I, I feel like I, I could have, that could have been, you know, defining their relationship had this been a, a different kind of movie that, that didn't have, uh, you know, the big, orchestral third act of kind of everybody getting to be a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, you know, Arthur, I think that might be kind of a, a, a drawback is when you cast someone like Jason Momoa as Aquaman, it is so intriguing that not exploring that feels like, Hey, you know, <laughs> why'd you pick him though? You know, like kind of, uh, right. uh, it, it kind of begs that kind of inspection, which is again, like a good mm-hmm. problem to have or a good issue to tackle. Uh mm-hmm. The Victor stuff. I think the the, the thing that really uh, uh, struck me was 
in Avengers because it, this final act does have more than superficial similarities to um, Avengers. You know, everyone is literally fighting over trying to defuse a cube. Um, but the, the fact that in Avengers you had that moment where Iron Man said, you know, Cap, like Captain, give us our orders. And he rattled it off. And it was a beautiful moment for Tony's character. It was a beautiful moment for Cap and everybody else getting to become soldiers. Like that was the thrust of it. Um, but I, I, and I loved it. And I also really loved that there wasn't really that in Justice League. They all just kind of were the heroes that they needed to be. You know, it wasn't, right. I don't recall Wonder Woman or Batman saying, Victor and Barry, go to the cube and do this and do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was they were all equipped to do it, especially Barry, like you kind of pointed out. I think that is, uh, as a Flash fan, uh, I was happy with what was there, but so I could have been happy with an hour devoted to his <laughs> climb from on the street to I'm just being the hero, which 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 is a sweet thing and it's a nice idea. So I don't have any problem with the character stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, And I think in that last act, the character development up till then – didn't feel deviated when they all did their thing because that's what, right. that's what superheroes do. They just do their thing. That's and fantastic four in the, the recent film. I thought that was the issue was you have everybody playing a hero when we didn't want, get to watch them get there. Yeah. And so when we get to that last act with, uh, you know, with, with Steppenwolf, we, to me, what I saw was again, the, the optimistic guy in me, sees a parallel between, okay, here's a group of people who know what their strengths are and they're using those strengths for a common purpose. You could almost parallel that with a creative team. If I know that my director is not a great writer, that's why he has writers. And that's why he has a guy who knows cinematography and a guy that knows how to edit and a guy that knows how to score you know, this, this whole idea about creative teams intrigues me because as a amateur filmmaker, I want to surround myself with people who are talent, more talented than me in areas that I need. And I feel like in part justice league, that was my initial feeling coming out of it was like, okay, if I didn't know anything about, you know, disappearing mustaches and, and how much or how little Joss Whedon had in the, in the creative process, I would have thought that this was a great creative team up. You had a visionary director, really great screenwriter working together to put together a film that was incredibly enjoyable. That's what I felt coming out of it. And I kind of wish I didn't know what I did about the potential. Here's what really went down. And here's where the reshoots really were more about Joss than, than Zack Snyder. That's that's the key, right? Is it's not Joss and Zach working together. No, you're right. It's it's Zach making a movie and Joss coming in and fixing it or finishing it. Yeah. And so that is a completely different dynamic. And I'll be honest, I was a bit bugged by the stuff I saw on Twitter recently of that was discovered. And I'm not one of these people that like witch hunts celebrities and what they do on Twitter. But Josh Joss had liked some some tweets that were pretty negative about the villain and about the story in justice league. And that's a problematic to me because he has not come out and been 
a champion of this film. He's mm-hmm. not tweeting saying, go see my movie justice league. Like if you're to me, I have a problem with that. If you're not, if you're going to, if you're going to take the job and you're going to work on it and you're going to put your name on it, then you need to own it. And right. you need to be, if, if, and otherwise then you didn't do your best work. You know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. or you should have said, I'm not the man for this job because my time, I can't make these tones work together in the way that you want me to, or that I'm going to be proud of. And so I, it, that that bothers me <laughs> a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know about you, Andrew. You probably see a lot of that. With yeah, yeah, and uh, that is a uh, you know we saw that with Batman v Superman, where it was David S. Goyer and Snyder had put together the story, and uh, w- with Ben Affleck's involvement, he thought that Chris Terrio, who's written a bunch of stuff, he wrote Argo. Um, he's he's collaborated with Affleck a few times. He was brought on to, uh, I think specifically write some of the dialogue or rework some of the dialogue of Lex Luthor with Jesse Eisenberg, which is a a very different type of writing than the rest of the movie. And I think that works fictionally and and he was brought into justice league. And I feel like some of the humor of Lex's did end up in the, in the cut of justice league. Like I love the idea of collaboration uh, when it, when the people <laughs> want to be collaborating with each other, right. uh, obviously. And that is like, I don't particularly think that either Joss Whedon or Zack Snyder have a really strong reputation of being against collaboration. Uh, I know that Joss Whedon is very, uh, he likes his writing the way he likes his writing. And that is a writer director, you know, I and mean, that, that's fair. I don't think, I don't have ill feelings towards any of them mainly because the reality of this situation is the studio and producers tried to make this work. And what they ended up with was a movie that Zack Snyder is not proud of. I mean, in the, in the sense that, you know, on his side of things, his, his name is on this as a Zack Snyder film. And I think that feels wrong Mm -hmm. uh, in, in a lot of ways. He's, you know, kind of said uh, he has not seen it um, since he walked away. This was, it was clearly not the movie that he wanted to make. That That's obvious, you know, and uh, that can be a reality a lot of times. He's just not the kind of person to lie about it or go out in front of the crowd with a smile on his face when people are going to know the reality of it. I think, like you said, Joss Whedon is clearly not proud of this to, to the extent that he's coming out and, being happy about what the, what the product was. I'm not saying they're ashamed of it. I'm just saying we've ended up in a scenario where two creators were attempted to be forced, (laughs) let one go and then the other, and we'll see what the ending is. And the ending was something that I don't think from the look of it, anyone on the corporate side is as happy with it as they hoped to be. Yeah. And, and I think if you were to be living under a rock and you look at the credits roll, in the beginning and you see screenplay Joss Whedon and you see directed by Zack Snyder, you're like, this is an all-star cast or or crew here. We're talking major stuff. And it's that, it's that intentional collaboration versus accidental pick it up. That, that does, you know, it definitely changes your perception knowing that going in because whether you want to or not, you're kind of looking for those changes. And so there is, I think we can all agree that that can be somewhat of a, distraction knowing that going in but even if it wasn't i think the fact that you're 
as an audience, I think we hope to have, just like we like having all-star casts make a movie great, we like to see the all-star crew yeah. make, make something great. And so when I see blindly Joss Whedon's writing a script that Zack Snyder's directing, that should, to me, that should feel like this is going to be amazing. And initially it was really great, but it's tainted a little bit by the fact that neither of these guys got the full gamut of what they could have done because Joss wasn't in from the very beginning and Zach wasn't in at the very end. Yeah. And so we have these two paths that crossed and the result was justice league. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a dumpster fire or anything like that, but it wasn't, it could, it could, it could have been better with those two names on it, but because there was not the collaboration in the beginning, we didn't get that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want uh, like all of this is coming off as I'm, I don't mean to pose this stuff as like fact that overrides your personal experience with the movie. Like if, if you had a blast, that's awesome. And as valid as anything, any of us are saying, right. I mean, it's right. how it makes you feel right. Um, so someone could say this is absolutely the best of both worlds for me that I got the kind of action of of Zack Snyder visually and the dialogue of Joss Whedon that I love and that Mm -hmm. I I envy I am (laughs) immensely envy (laughs) of being able to watch a movie that that can do both of those things Uh, but I also feel like they are two styles that they're not two. They're two great tastes that don't necessarily taste great together. Gotcha. Or they don't blend. Maybe that, maybe that's an easier way to say it, right? There were a lot of scenes that felt like they were lighter in tone, Uh, you know, Barry and, and Bruce, when they're meeting, I enjoyed that. And then there was a kind of bit uh, that Barry did about brunch, which it it just there there is a, a break maybe that over the course of a movie you don't know what is the thing that you could you can't quite put your finger on why it felt like the comedy was a little bit uneven um mainly because one of the the best jokes that i don't know if you guys know this that uh, Ezra Miller has revealed um when when they go into the bat cave and and uh, Barry is kind of messing around with some stuff and Bruce says like don't do that or don't touch that. Um, the original version, and I won't curse. I don't want to give you the dreaded explicit E, so I'll censor myself. But the original <laughs> version was Barry starts messing around with something all happy, and Bruce says, don't don't touch that. A lot of my stuff explodes. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I would have liked that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, and imagining, you know, the Bruce Wayne of that, that we've known through the, these movies delivering that. I have the utmost confidence in Ben Affleck. And it, 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 comedy is very different. Uh, and I feel like at some point it starts to speak to the identity of the movie. And mm-hmm. that is where I feel like things started kind of short circuiting in people having a hard time identifying what the movie not only like is wanting to be, but what it is trying to be at times mm-hmm. when it might've been a bit smoother or just, a more whole picture if it maybe picked its spots a little bit uh, uh, smoother, but again, yeah. your results may vary. <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree. And the, the one of all the jokes that, that were landed at, first of all, I still think my favorite is the, 
is, you know, came from, you know, two years ago that, that official footage from justice league that we still got with Bruce meeting, uh, meeting Barry. I thought that was fantastic. One of the jokes that did not land for me and one that I felt felt very awkward was when I guess it was, I think it was just before or just after Superman is resurrected and Barry says something, he's talking about his blood sugar or he has to get, that felt a little out of place. It felt like it was just like, it didn't feel like it needed to be there. Like it was a joke that it wasn't flowing with the rest of the dialogue. Like he was just, and and to me, those, those are the lines that feel like you're going, okay, we're having a moment here. It it was a Ragnarok moment for me. These guys were talking about something and then, and then Barry comes in and says, joke, 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 ha, 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 you know, that kind of thing where you're, you're, you're trying to get a feeling out of this, a feeling of seriousness. And instead of providing levity, you provide a distraction. That joke really didn't. And that's why it didn't land for me. Yeah, it didn't, it yeah, didn't work talking, that great, right. but I, but I think I, I read that differently. Like I didn't, I didn't read that as much of a joke moment as a, everybody's talking about stuff and they're trying to give us like Barry's feeling left out. Like he's the one that's not in this conversation. And then they want us to know also they were trying to cram too many things into that one sentence, right? They were trying to make it somewhat funny, give Barry a reason to have participation in the conversation. And at the same time, tell you to reiterate, which they'd already told us that, yeah. Oh, by the way, when the flash expends a lot of energy, he needs to eat. Yeah. And so it was like, it yeah, was three a shoots, right? Yeah. Like make... They were try, trying to put too much yeah. into it. Yeah, I and it is kind of with Ragnarok too. I loved Ragnarok also, but there is you get to the point where it's like if you tried to be funny 15% less, it would be twice as funny. Right. Um, you know, like the if we don't have that bit in there about brunch does Bruce's I'm rich punchline land more because there wasn't a release ahead of I mean that is and that is a fine science and absolutely unequivocally the one time where that is the hardest to do is reshoots where you need to insert things that like you said you know you have to have one five second edition cover three bases um and that brunch bit is kind of the basis of the joke of the first post credit scene so yeah you're i mean i i do not i do not envy joss whedon for being given the task that he was i'm not the villain, the quote unquote of this story or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause some of those jokes I thought were very funny. I think if we had a movie that was taking a less jokey approach to Batman specifically, and we come back to see him uh, stating that there's definitely something bleeding in his suit, that could be a very funny joke in a very Batman type of setting. Mm-hmm. Uh but you just don't get that luxury. You know, if, if you show Barry as they're all talking, kind of looking around for nearby restaurants and then, then comment, you know, you lay the groundwork of like, Oh, right. He was looking to see if he could like get food before mm-hmm. this became an actual issue. Um, uh, reshoots. When you try to make reshoots re, you know, change the DNA of a film, you're already kind of conceding that things have gone not the way you would have hoped. That doesn't mean those jokes can't be funny. So I think, uh, especially over time, those are kind of the things that get just more funny. You just remember the joke, not how it might've necessarily felt in the scene. Sure. I I actually thought the the Bruce, like rolling around on the ground, I actually thought it was funnier just seeing Superman toss him. Like 
Yeah. It's oh, not it's yeah. supposed to be a joke necessarily, but like that's the moment my son and I that both looked at each other and laughed. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, like he just nonchalantly yeah. just flings him and you're just like, oh crap, that was Batman. He's got like, t- like, is he alive? <laughs> um, but that actually leads into one thing I want to make sure we talked about before we ended. Here. Um, and that is the action because this is another area where it was very hit or miss for me. And typically in a Snyder film, it's a strength because it's all Snyder all the time. And I don't know what in this is Snyder and what is cut and not fully Snyder. But what I will say is I did not like the scene that you brought up earlier, Andrew. I did not like the music uh, overall as well. And I definitely it specifically was taken out of the scene in the church or bank or whatever it was, the bank, I guess, when the terrorists were going to go in and blow it up. I hated the music there. But what I also did not like is I just did not like almost anything about that scene, even from the the pan in to showing Wonder Woman up there on the scales of justice. It was a terribly obvious CGI background for her Hmm. standing up against it. Didn't like that. And then the action sequence of her dodging the one bullet, which is actually like midway on her face before she turns. I've noticed now now that I've watched it twice, she doesn't actually turn until it's like halfway past her nose it's kind of interesting um but like i didn't like that at all the i just thought it looked really cheesy and goofy her you know blocking all of the bullets across the line i didn't i did not enjoy that and then some of the the sequence in the i want i keep wanting to call it the locks it's not a lock um the sewers of like tunnel the tunnels underneath the bay yeah, yeah, a lot of that was just Harbor. so hard to follow mm-hmm. that I didn't get a lot of enjoyment out of that. But then, you know, on the other side, we have the battle with Superman, which I thought was a highlight of the entire film. Mm-hmm. That was amazing from start to finish. The entire scene and the action in that was great. Just really shows the power of Superman um, and the and 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 the fear that you know Aquaman and others had of of like. Dude, if we wake him up and he's not on our side, we're toast. Like, this is not a good thing. We're in mm-hmm. trouble. Um, so I really enjoyed that action, and then I enjoyed the action of the, the finale. I know some people didn't, but I actually really liked the entire ending sequence personally. But what did you guys think about the action in this one? Andrew, you want to you wanna talk to that? Yeah, I'll, I'll say uh, I thought the Superman's return was right out of – a comic book that was like watching you know a comic book scene brought to life especially with finally the way they had superman kind of scary float um uh-huh. it's intimidating uh mustache regardless um <laughs> but you know the moment he looks to the flash i think is probably like a highlight of the dc movie universe to this point uh <laughs> for the dramatic close-up on barry's face uh that all so felt good yeah, really great. Uh, but uh, the action, yeah, I thought the we've seen we we ended up seeing so much of it in marketing. Um, but you know, Batman having those parademons follow him, I thought was a a, a cool touch. Um, especially when he spins the Batmobile around and is just unloading those guns on them with the building falling. I thought this is okay. Now we're in Zack Snyder land. Absolutely, this is the good kind of destruction porn, right? Um, the the thing I will mention because 
you mentioned kind of Zack Snyder movie expecting action. It wasn't action in the sense of two people fighting, but it was the moments of the film that gave me the absolute like stick it into my veins. Snyder, you know, have people cheering as hormones flood their bodies was uh, the use of icky thump when Aquaman finally, you know, to, to finally have the payoff of that song used in marketing to him in, again, the best use of Zack Snyder's slow motion, downing that bottle <laughs> yeah. as you, you, everybody felt, uh, despite the movie maybe not earning it the way that I expected to, feeling that like this is what I've been waiting for is to follow him, you know, as he loses the shirt and then into the water and being totally sold on those first few seconds of him uh moving through the water the way he does uh that was that was awesome yeah yeah that was my oh i don't even need an action scene just give me just give me more of this (laughs) and then a very cool underwater fight i thought that was brief but made me very intrigued for for his movie Mm -hmm. yeah there were definitely a lot of hints at what could potentially be some really cool solo choreographed fights yeah with Yeah. yeah And and I'm I'm with you guys. I think the back half of the film had a lot better, a lot more clean fight sequences that you could follow. I was definitely a lot more confused in the first half in the back. And so when uh, when we get to uh, the fight with with um, with Steppenwolf, and then earlier with the the battle with with Superman, both of those were a couple of my favorites. And the, the way they the way we got to those places, I think, is what helped pay those off. And I. I don't think I'd do us justice as I do the air quotes. If I didn't hit on what I think is the, for me, the biggest, like I need this to be good. Uh, And that's Superman's return because this is a big deal. I mean, I think Batman V Superman sets up his death and his return is imminent. I, I mentioned to you, Aaron, that my wish would have been that this was a MacGuffin that his return was hinted at, but never shown like he, we didn't get this, like that we didn't actually get it in justice league. I knew mm-hmm. we would. I mean, there was nothing, there was just like maybe 1% of me that had a hope that maybe he's not going to show up. Maybe the scenes that we are you know, getting in the trailers are just like visions and whatnot because Superman died and he set off this revolution and, and why, you know, you know, when you, when you bring him back, it's going to be, it needs to be a big deal. That to me was probably the most disappointing part of the film. Now, the fight notwithstanding, because it was awesome. And I love seeing Superman just go to town on the rest of the team. Yeah. Yeah, just boom. But, and I didn't feel like it was cheap. I just felt like it was abbreviated, truncated, again, restrained. I felt like it should have been more. If there were any scene, any theme any moment any idea that should have been expanded on lingered on made to feel this is the most important part of the film that should have been it and i don't feel like i got it completely what about you guys oh boy uh i'll i'll you know what this it's easy for me to get my idea across because i think that i think that people said i want superman back and they ended up just saying okay here he is uh because Aside from the, I think that almost everybody, I don't think it is even a divisive thing to say, 
separated from how much you like the Superman better or not. I think that the Superman that returns and the death of Superman and Batman v Superman, there is just absolutely no thematic link whatsoever between them. Uh, As, as a, I'll go on one end of the spectrum and say that it definitely undercuts. I mean, I would say that his return from a thematic standpoint is kind of meaningless. Like it only matters functioning to the plot. Like you said, Mm -hmm. they need him back. uh, And therefore it kind of makes his death at the end of Batman v Superman, like the ending of my mental story of Snyder's Superman story, like the, Mm -hmm. The flood of absolute Superman loving juice seeing that dirt float and then cut to black is uh, uh, just, oh, okay, I'll make that the feeling because that kind of is the feeling that I was hoping for in Justice League, uh, more or less. But they were just doing something com- completely different. Yeah. And I think that more than anything is probably what Snyder was alluding to. Like, I did not get to tell the the final chapter of the Superman story I had in mind. Um, we just got Superman back and it was the Superman. A lot of people wanted, which is, which is cool. Uh, if you have to pick, I guess that's, that is the obvious one you go with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't care for it. I, I was, I mean, I love that. Like I said, I love that scene and I enjoy the chemistry of Superman in the film. Once he shows up and becomes a part of the team. But I thought, that we had such, I mean, for that to be a huge part of this story, it, I mean, he was on screen 10 minutes of the movie, maybe completely. If you wanted to add it all up, I think, I mean, it was almost nothing. It was so minuscule. And half of the time that he was on screen was him standing in a cornfield, which Mm. is fine. I mean, I get, I get that there's going to be a moment where you, you want to take a moment back and have his moment with Lois to, to reconnect and bring him back. And it just, there wasn't enough. Like you said, Patrick, it was not given enough weight and enough seriousness. It was just, he's back and we're going to give you this moment to show you real quick why he's okay by him talking to Lois. And then that way, you know that he's going to come show up again and help out. And, and then he doesn't even show up until the, toward the end of the fight, you know, and he just, Mm -hmm. He shows up, he has one gig, big gag, essentially. Yeah. In fact, you know, and, and it's a questionable thing too. Like Batman specifically tells him, we have to stop Steppenwolf right now and we need your help. And he goes, oh, squirrel, and flies off. Now, <laughs> save a building full of people, sure. And I know that that's a Superman choice that he might make, but I I don't believe he would just zap off. I believe he would pause and he would consider the the ramifications, he would weigh the consequence of do I need to stop this villain right now in this moment, or do I need to go save these people right now? Like, but he doesn't even hesitate. And so that was kind of odd for me. And, and all all of it was just really rushed with him. Yeah. Um, And frankly, we've joked about this mustache stuff and I don't think we ever actually said what happened. So Henry Cavill that plays Superman was filming another film and has a mustache, correct? Yes, and, and, and so they Par- had to CGI it off, right? Because Paramount, uh, he's doing MI six and Paramount, I think, who yeah. own the, who, uh, it's part of, in his contract. He could not shave it, mm-hmm. right? So they and had to so digitally remove it. It was very distracting to me from the very first scene with him all the way through the film. Every time we closed up on his mouth and he talked, 
I did not feel like it was the Henry Cavill that I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was distracting. It was just hard for me to get into that moment with yeah. him. And I, I would have loved, and that's part of Patrick, why I told you when I got home, when you mentioned that you were going to read this story, I was like, yes, I want to read those graphic novels. Cause I want to read this story with more weight. I, I got a good taste of it, mm-hmm. but I want to see the whole thing. Yeah, I absolutely, I think you should and make time for it after award season. Cause it's definitely worth reading if for no other reason than to get that kind of weight. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just, this is a flash season. Are we in season four, Andrew with the flash? Four, yeah. Okay. Right so I'm going to spoil the premiere for anybody that hasn't seen it. So for the next 15 seconds, if you're listening, just, just take your headphones off or whatever. And if you want to do that too, Aaron, you can, this felt a lot like Barry coming back from the speed force. Like I wanted two or three episodes where he was mm-hmm. not there because we need the weight of his absence yeah. because it was played out as being so valuable in the same way. That's where I, I almost hoped guys that Superman would have, that this would have been the film from the, the back half. I mean, I know yeah. it wasn't because we already saw the villain. Um, but I would have hoped that just like with the Hulk storyline, planet Hulk in Ragnarok kind of got thrown in as a piece of a, a another story that I didn't really care for. I felt like the return of Superman, the weight should have been there, but there should have been consequences. I mean, if you're talking so much, if you're having these characters have so much apprehension and then we have a big fight and then two scenes later, he's okay. I, I can't buy that. I won't buy that because that's, it's not that that's not my Superman. That's not the Superman you're selling me. Even within justice league, you're giving me this importance of like, don't do it. Don't do it. And we're going back and forth and we're all reluctantly making this one moment happen where we're going to resurrect them. And you give us maybe seven minutes of consequences in it. it, No, no. And that's probably the biggest disappointment of the film for me is the fact that, from a personal standpoint, I love Superman. And so to cheapen that is it aggravates me, but even from a cinematic point of view, you're telling me something's important and then you cheapen it by just using it as a plot point to get to the finale. Yeah. And I don't like that. And that to kind of uh, come with that another way, that helps me understand why I feel a certain way I feel is I was kind of thinking, Oh, wouldn't this be great if, they don't show us the moment that Superman returns because I can't even imagine how Zack Snyder is going to tell that moment of this story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that final trailer showed him in the cornfield, which turns out to be a a return of sorts more than an evil, you know, (laughs) misunderstood. Like that is him back and him turning and saying, I'll take that as a yes. And Lois not understanding what he means and then saying the ring and it ends on a somber note, um, which for anyone who doesn't know is not in the movie Mm -hmm. Uh, that felt like, Oh man, the next words out of Lois's mouth are not. Yup. It's hug. You know, like there is an implied something is missing. Like something was lost that now needs to be reckoned with in some way and then what we got in the movie was the lowest thing i think was really like martha at the end of batman v superman is just devastated like can barely stand because of course she's his mother you know that's makes total sense um 
And it did seem like with this, there was no way to get around that. So Lois is just fine. Martha's fine, which cuts out a big part of of what would even make that thing really land with a lot of weight. Uh, Because let's just get to the fun third act. Yeah. Right. And that that's where I felt the most obvious of of narrative not shifts, but narrative uh pressing is that we're now mm-hmm. okay, we've 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 cleaned that up, we've we've dusted that under the rug and, and now we can get on to what should be the fun part of the movie. And it was, but yeah. the th- yeah. the thing that what what made that moment so great in the trailer was exactly what you described and that added Hans Zimmer theme underneath it, that (laughs) piano. And I love that theme. And that's something that's, I mean, honestly, guys, themes are absent in superhero films today. I think there was a, a web series done by um, every frame of painting. uh, The guy that runs that, that emphasizes the fact that, you know, you can't, you know, hum the Spider-Man theme. Uh, from you know, from Spider-Man: Homecoming, you can't really because it's it's absent. Now, hum the Iron Man theme or the you know whatever the Hans Zimmer Superman theme. It's it's in my soul. I love yeah, it, it. it yeah. carries that weight with it. Yeah, and it, and it has that kind of power from from the very beginnings of Man of Steel. And for me, I wanted Justice League to be part three of the the saga of Superman that Zack Snyder was telling. And that's where I felt it got cheapened that the central character of all three of these films, the importance of this character in all three of these films now kind of got abbreviated in, yeah. in this film for the sake of creating a forgettable villain. Let's just call him that. He wasn't very, I mean, yeah. he was, he was a Marvel villain, one that was very there to bring a team together and they all came together logistically. Correct. But I I didn't feel any stakes with him. I thought he was better than that. I I didn't dislike him nearly as much as most people did. I I actually liked him. I thought he was genuinely larger in scale than most. I thought he was incredibly um, evil. I mean, again, we go back to stakes. It's all that for me, these things. That's one of the things I love about the DCU the most is it has stakes. And Patrick, we talked about this in our Thor Ragnarok episode, that that was a derailer for us is that there were none, but Right from the get-go, Steppenwolf is murdering Amazons left it. Like, they are dying, and we are seeing them die. And then he straight up murders a human, right? Just breaks the neck, and you hear it crackle. I mean, there's no question about his ferocity, and I, and I thought that that, w- that came through really well. Now, his speeches work. Is it generic in that, you know, he's just coming to be the destroyer of worlds and, you know, get – the unity back together or whatever. Yes. But I thought that he was like eons better than Ares from wonder woman and some of the Marvel villains personally. It, I mean, in suicide squads villain, like he was, he was definitely higher than them to me. I can agree with that. Yeah. I, I think he was, he was serviceable at the very least. And yeah. again, his, his purpose was, was very much a means to an end for me personally. Um, I, I think it's it's the nature of his type of characters. This epic, I'm going to take over the universe, apocalypse, dark side, you know, whoever. Those are stories that don't interest me because they're not personal. They're not human. And and that's okay. That's more of a personal bias that, that I admit to having. 
I'm, I'm not the epic fantasy guy that <laughs> would probably cater to a character like Steppenwolf. He was, he was, he was good for the movie. He didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel like what, what's he doing there? What, what's the point? I mean, he, his, his purpose was explained very well. And so from a storytelling standpoint, that was very, very much a complete thing for me, but you know, he's just not my kind of character, my kind of villain. There, there was uh, I'm assuming because it was used in early footage that it is a line credited to Chris Terrio or, or Zack Snyder. I did love him lifting up that second person who said, I have a family. And he just said, why does everybody keep saying that? <laughs> like that was, that was a very, it, cause some people in the theater, it, it can be a laugh, but it, it is one of those lines that's like, Oh, that really does define uh not just like an alien, um, but but a but a great villain that I don't even understand why you think that matters. I thought that was a nice a touch to an otherwise, like you said, serviceable. I think that I wouldn't put Hella versus him is a is a fight I wouldn't even have interest in having. Like I think right. it is they've let our heroes shine, yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, he reminded that line reminds me a lot of of Goldfinger when, uh, when when James Bond says, "Do you expect me to talk?" He goes, "No, I expect you to die." It's just this yeah. very obvious, like, <laughs> and I'm a villain. You know what? And, and for I'm the okay comic people who like know that Steppenwolf is just Dark Side Soldier, I appreciate them adding. Like, what can we add? Let's have him say that he's exiled because he lo- lost the last time. Cool. That makes that guy interesting at all. So <laughs> fine. <laughs> Thank you for the effort. <laughs> For sure. I just don't have anything else. I want to leave it open. Um, I think we should just move into our connecting point. Finally get to land this uh, invisible jet <laughs> or plane or whatever. Was it we're, there? We're... Was it there? I... Somebody asked me the other day. They said, hey, did Wonder Woman's invisible... Where was Wonder Woman's invisible jet in Wonder Woman? And I said, well, maybe it was there. You it was there the stuff. whole time. It was there in Wonder Woman, too. You just didn't see it. <clears throat> anyway... <laughs> So as we like to do, let's start with our guest. Andrew, did you have a connecting point? And if so, what was it? I, at, honestly, after seeing it the first time, I was sad to realize that I didn't think I had one uh, for reasons that I think are obvious now. But uh, on second viewing, I think that the moment that Barry they're about to go into the fight and we get a really great, the camera sweeps up from Steppenwolf to Barry at the doorway, leaning back and stopping. Uh, and it was a very real, I think that almost any person who has ever fancied themselves a superhero <laughs> reading a comic book can understand the moment of this just became so real that my body is telling me to run away from this. Uh, and th- his, it precedes the line that was in the trailers of, you know, I don't do battle um, of him just knowing I don't, I'm not mattering here. Uh, That moment, that one specific moment of him at the door, that moment of hesitation was the Mm -hmm. connecting point because it is not just a, it didn't get into the abstract, which these movies tend to do, but it was literally every person in the theater can feel what this guy is feeling right now. Mm-hmm. which opened the door to probably one of the movie's most effective moments for me. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Aaron, what about you? 
Well, it's right along lines of the same thing, honestly, is um, I think, and it's partially, even though we don't have full on origin stories here, we, we have more of one for the flash in some ways, I think. Um, And so I'm really, really hoping crossing my fingers that that movie can get out of production hell and they can find someone that has a passion for it and can get it made. I'll do it. I'll direct it. I'll direct it. I'm I'm good with that. Um, You, Andrew is a technical advisor and there we go. Um, so for me, going back to what I just talked about recently about the stakes being the most important thing, it's because of that, that the flash has this great scene with Bruce Batman being my favorite character. I felt like this is a very good moment for him as well. And it's when he's talking about doing battle and he's freaking out and he's not saying, I don't do battle. And Bruce says, save one, save one person. Don't talk, don't fight, get in and get out. It's this incredibly short truncated speech. And Barry says, and then, and Bruce says, you'll know. And that pieces of dialogue was just so powerful for me. And it was the first time and it it really hit home the second time. Because that's the moment when the flash becomes the flash. That's when he becomes a hero, right? That's when he mentally does something heroic and makes a choice to do it. And particularly when he gets the first guy and comes back and like, like the look in his eye, the look in his face, when he realizes what he has just accomplished by actually saving a life, there is so much weight to that because of the murder that happens right before that. Barry watches someone get their neck snapped. So he knows what's at stake. And so it makes it so much important, more important for me when he makes that choice and goes through that and, and willingly puts himself on the line. Like he, and that's, that's the thing that I've loved about the DCEU is that I feel like the heroes are vulnerable, not even because Superman dies, but because of moments like this, I feel like this is not a bunch of gods fighting that are just going to come out of this. Okay. If things go wrong, Barry can can be dead in an instant, and I get that feeling from it, and so it it raises my my blood pressure and it makes me tense, and I get emotional when he succeeds and when he grows and changes as a human being and a person. Um, and so I like it both from his end, and like I said, I love it from Bruce's side as well because it's it's a moment of leadership and mentorship for Bruce that. We get a little, we get quite a bit of in this this movie that I and I really enjoy that he he really tries to be the glue that brings the team together and just be the the planner and the organizer, and not necessarily the team leader, but he interjects and gives that advice where when needed. And so, so and for me, that's yeah, it, man. That's also like what you just said there. That reminds me, it is the part of Batman we don't get to see because it isn't cool for him to get a rush and feel good about saving someone's life. We focus on him punishing the criminal because that is the part that is Batman to us. So him saying, you'll know is him implicitly saying like, I knew I've gone through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you guys are referring to these characters as Bruce and Barry, (laughs) because that kind of leads into my connecting point. And, uh, I connect with names. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, as much as I was disappointed with, I'm just glad you remember the names, Patrick. These are names I can remember. Yeah. These are <laughs> names I have no problem remembering. You get me into 
other movies that aren't related to superheroes. I'm like that guy who was dressed in that thing with that girl who said that thing. And my admission, bringing Superman back that way and the truncated way in which he was brought back was not my favorite at all. However, I was sold on the idea by a scene that took place just before it. Bruce and Alfred are talking about what's about to happen. There's this conversation that's taking place with the team. And now uh, Bruce and Alfred are kind of conversing. And I, I wasn't sold on Jeremy Irons. Alfred, he's growing on me. Um, I think Michael Caine is always going to be my favorite Alfred of the, <laughs> of the Batman movies. <laughs> but this conversation, they, they're mulling over what's going to happen. And I think Alfred says something to the fact of the world needs Superman, which is a statement that I think a lot of people hear in comics. And it's just, but Bruce's response is really where I connected. He says, and the team needs Clark. So what draws me into the character of Superman and and really all the DC characters is the importance placed on both sides of a particular superhero you know, Clark matters equally as much as Superman does. And it shows a few scenes later when Superman has just been resurrected and he's chaotically just tearing every one of these, these te- this team to shreds with his amazing superpowers, which I'm never going to not want to happen because I love when he just shows off those powers. And Bruce brings out the quote, big guns, which honestly I did not see coming. And I thought this was great. And it's, it's Lois. She comes out. And she has this power that no one else has because she is in love with Clark, not Superman, but Clark. And she has, it's it's what draws me into like Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker because Gwen Stacy loves Peter Parker, not Spider-Man. And that relationship is similar to this one in that it's people that love one another. She's not in love with an alien. She's in love with the guy who exists in in conjunction with this other thing. I like that the DCEU is getting that, or at least in this film, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that was a Snyder uh, idea because I feel like he gets that. Like he gets the fact that Clark is just as important to this world. And Bruce is just as important. And Barry is just as important to this world as their superheroic counterparts that, all of these pieces are needed to help make the world of the DC universe better, more hopeful. And I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that line. And I admit my bias and love for Superman probably played into my connection to this, but not expecting it and hearing it from Bruce, especially after knowing what he has kind of gone through on his own in feeling guilt for Superman's death to me, that says a lot about their relationship and it hints at what their relationship is like in the comic books and really kind of how it's, it's humorously played in the, you know, the Lego Batman movie and in the Lego uh, universe where they're, they're kind of frenemies a little bit, you know, where they, and I've always loved that. I've always loved the dynamic of their relationship because they counter each other so well. They have to work together on a team with this group. But I, my hope, guys, is that I see a Batman-Superman team up from this. And I don't know who would direct it necessarily. I would hope Zack Snyder. But we've already seen this Batman-Superman kind of 
collaboration, but how cool would it be if, if they were able to do something quote, you know, together in collaboration instead of in competition with one another. But that was really the moment that sold it for me. It made the sting of the shortness uh, of the lack of importance of Superman coming back a little bit less uh, painful, but it's a powerful line. And, and I think it's one that, that stays with me uh, on multiple viewings. When, uh, when Lois says we should leave or we should go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I will never not be able to imagine my fiance in that of just we we should we should probably we let's just get out of, like out of here because this is gone real bad so maybe let's just call our quits like if we came up at a party where things had gone really bad and she came up and said to me like Lois does let's let's just go I would think you are the key mm. you are it that's all that yeah. matters yeah that's awesome Patrick I, I love that and I knew I, I was concerned. Because knowing how much you love Superman, um, I wanted you to love the film, right? And I wanted yeah. it to be what you wanted from it. So, um, I mean, I love Batman, and I and I feel like I'm getting enough of what I want in Batman. But I've had so many other good iterations of Batman that I can fall back on those if I need to. But right. I would love, <laughs> I would love like a Superman and Friends movie, or maybe we can get Superman and Batman. A Lego movie, Lego Superman, dude. You know, you know. I've been. I'm going to champion that. For, I'll take for, that. Um, yeah, will for sure. <laughs> but along the lines of what you were wrapping up there with your your connecting point, I want to I want to end our conversation by just briefly talking about our our hopes for that collaboration in the future. I'll tell you what I think so far. So I we've we've mentioned multiple times about the the individual solo characters. I I want an aqua. I'm, I want an aqua. We are getting an Aquaman movie. So or we're supposed to be. So I'm really excited about that. I love James Wan. I really want a flash solo movie with a good director. Um, I would love to see the Superman and Batman um, continue on going forward. But with the talk of, you know, Ben Affleck potentially falling out of the role and rebooting, who's going to be in it. um, If that's going to happen, I, (laughs) If if WB cannot find the consistent vision like right now, and and have one way that all of this is going to go, if it's not going to be Snyder and you're not going to let him continue it as a universe, then I wondered what you guys thought about like this reboot idea. We've we've had rumors and you know fan rumblings of thinking that oh they're going to do Flashpoint with the Flash solo movie to just reboot everything and start their DCEU over. Is that something you would rather see happen at this point? Or would you rather to see them continue to kind of try and feel their way and stumble their way through with these characters and what we have established? Where do you want to see this go? I personally don't want that at all. I, I want to give, continue to give us what you've been giving us. Let us trust what it is that you're putting out there because it's good storytelling. It's got its misses, and that's okay. Um, I had uh, a conversation today on social media. There was some, obviously, more conversation about the comparison, um, un- you know, unfairly comparing MCU to the DCEU. And somebody made a great point. It's like comparing a five-year-old to his 16-year-old older brother. I mean, we're still in the infancy stages, guys. We're We're in our, what? I guess I guess it would be the fifth, fifth movie of the DCEU. Yep. And they've all been 
I mean, well, I won't say critically well received. Obviously, that's not the case, but I, I don't, I don't see this as a failure by any means. I don't see, I, I see it having its missteps, and that's part of growing up as a, as a universe and trying something different. But if you're trying to be your 16 year old older brother, you're gonna, you're gonna trip and fall, and you're gonna so be your own six year old and act like you're six and continue to grow and learn and you know, use your older brother as a template, but you're going to be your own type of thing. So I'm taking that analogy way too far. I I, I want to see this universe trying to be, and I'm still trying to figure out what that is completely beyond just dark and brooding and serious. I want it to feel like it's confident in saying really serious themes. And we're not going to necessarily rely on, on, puff pieces and and candy to to get the masses in to agree with this being a decent film we have enough of a fan base that's going to be able to say these are good movies and they deserve to be fleshed out and deserve to have more creativity involved we want to see this thing uh pan out but do you do you think that there's any chance of that i mean that's that's kind of where we're at right now we're we're at we're at five movies and only one of which has been critically acclaimed. Do you have trust in WB that they're going to figure this out? No, but at the same time, if you change it on me, I'm going to have less trust in me, in you. You know, if you're, why should I have confidence in a, in a studio that is deciding they're going to, by course correcting, by using Flashpoint or whatever to reboot, they basically said, ignore what we just did. We're going to try this again. <laughs> oh, don't, you can write the ship. There are creative people in Hollywood that can help put you back on the track. If that, if, if you're, if you've strayed a little far away again, I think justice league is a decent first step, a good first step to getting us to a place where we can find balance between uh, heavy themes and, and well thought out themes and levity. I think it's, it, it doesn't have all that necessarily, but it, I, again, I want to believe that it is a good step forward. And, uh, but again, the network speaks above, I guess, even the creators. <laughs> huh. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm on the record as someone who feels that this, idea from marvel that somehow became the only rule um that a shared universe must be all characters existing in basically one large movie uh makes the filmmaking landscape worse not better i think that you get a thrill from i think the thrill of the marvel universe was novelty like i Mm -hmm. I think that and that is not to take anything away from them it was a very novel idea but it was novel. Um, now, I don't think the average person particularly would care if Wonder Woman began with her getting a note from Batman or a note that we didn't see. You know, so I don't think it really impacts the stories at all. I think that it is silly to think that that's what Zack Snyder was trying to do. Because I do think the guy was trying to tell a story that was three films long and you guys bring in people to make movies about each of these characters. Cause I'm going to make them cool. Um, and people will 
see them in my movie and then go, oh, cool, they're getting their own movie. Um, none of this, you know, interconnected, you need to see origin in this order only. Uh, to the reboot thing, I, I don't understand. <laughs> it would be like if the new Superman writer from the comic got scathing reviews and they said, I guess we got to reboot the company again. Uh, you know, everybody scrap what you're doing because it all needs to be part of one thing. I think that if if Ben, if ben Affleck says, like, it was the Snyder thing I, that kind of convinced me to do this, so I'm not really I, – I don't want to be doing this at my age, um, then, okay, cool. I don't think anyone will care by the time that the new Batman movie comes out with the new Batman. I, I, I just think the average person will be fine. So um, mainly – I think the reboot idea implies a type of shared universe going forward that I hope they don't make uh, or the restrictions they don't do. They just let, you know, Nightwing be Nightwing and all of that be its own thing. More than anything, I hope that Warner Brothers and the people at DC Films look at the reaction to this and say, well, this we did not know how to make this better. Uh, Take the humbling moment realize that maybe it's positive for us as a human race society that people who even disliked Zack Snyder are now saying, I mean, I would have liked to have seen how he wanted to end it rather than what someone else tell the last chapter of his story. So, uh, but yeah, let creators create, you know, I mean, obviously dial it back. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, it's been a very, very good conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, hearing from both you guys. And um, listeners, I hope you guys have enjoyed hearing from us. If you want to continue the conversation, all of us are on social media. Uh, Andrew, why don't you uh, let people know where you can be found in the world of the wide webs? Of yeah, you find, yeah, you can find me surfing the nets. Um on twitter.com at Andrew B. Dice. They upped it to 280 characters, so now I get to ramble uh, and type also. Nice. Uh, and you can find me writing about Justice League and everything else in the coming months at screenrant.com. All right. Aaron, what about you? Well, I can always be found all over the internet, especially on Twitter and Facebook at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. You can find my written reviews on feelinfilm.com and I'm very active in our lovely Facebook group that we are almost at 300 uh, now members, Patrick. So that's pretty cool. I'm expecting that to happen next week. I put the call out and gave a nice little Spartan reference. So hopefully people will take action. I said, how are we going to hold Thermopylae without 300? Maybe like <laughs> 10 more this is a podcast exactly (laughs) (laughs) and of course someone immediately responded and said hey have you guys done 300 and i was like no we we haven't but i guess we should put that on the list um but uh anyway the facebook group is where the magic happens we talk all day long every day throughout the week about movies lots of great conversations and discussions are happening there and we'd love to have you come join that listeners uh you can find links to that in every show's show notes and also in the web on the website on the the front page as well and i'm excited next week patrick we're gonna have jeremy on uh, our feeling film contributor he's also been doing some great written work for us and reviews uh, he's gonna be on to talk about the edge of 17 so we're gonna switch it up a little bit 
Yeah, <laughs> go from superheroes to teen angst. <laughs> and no, it's just a swift little switch there. Well, if you guys want to contact me or d- uh, continue the discussion about Justice League or anything that we've talked about tonight, um, except Henry Cavill's mustache, because I don't really know much about that, you can find me at Shoeless Patch, S H O E. L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. have a website too. This is patch.com. You can catch some of my thoughts on the faith side of my connection with film and other stuff there as well. So check that out. Check me out. And if you get a chance, if you've seen the, seen the movie, let us know what your connecting point is, what you liked, what you didn't, and uh, keep the conversation flowing. Again, for being on, it's always a privilege to have you on discussing Everything about, uh, well, particularly superhero films. I don't think we've had, well, Waterworld. We had John for Waterworld. So. As an Aquaman. Yeah, yep. a superhuman of a sort. <laughs> he does. He does. So uh, I, we're looking forward to, to having you on at the, at the next available time slot. <laughs> but until then, uh, Aaron, as we always say, stay positive. And keep feeling film beautiful sign off every time <laughs>